You are listening to Galgo FM, a voice for the Galgo. My name is Christoph Richter and I will be speaking to people that take a stand against hunting with dogs in Spain. Hello and thanks for tuning in. Welcome to episode number five. When I made the interview for this episode, a new book was just in the making. It's a book in German that now is published in English too. Sighthound Stories, our journey through four continents by Miriam Weldebening. We spoke about the process of the translating and lecturing work for which Miriam collaborated with Mary Jane O'Connor in the US. For my German podcast, I already spoke to Miriam and we decided to meet and to talk about the book once again, but this time in English. And we invited Mary Jane to join us. It's interesting to hear about the animal welfare activities she's doing in the US too. Here we go. Sighthound Stories, our journey through four continents is your second book. Can you tell me a little bit about the book? The first book was published in November last year and You know, the response to the first book was really overwhelming. The people obviously liked it a lot and asked for a second volume, asked for translations. And well, so I was starting to think about that and was pondering if I should just write a second book <laughs> together with other co-authors. And I started, I think it was in February this year, to write to some people in my Sighthound network, try to make new contacts and ask the people if they would uh, like to join my second book project. And um, well, all the replies were positive. And so I said, okay, let's get ready, write a new book. And we've almost finished. And yes, I think we'll have excellent stories this time as well as you know we also had fantastic stories in the first volume but again we will have very exciting very emotional of course very personal writings and this time we'll have stories from almost all over the world from four continents looking at the subtitle you see that and mm -hmm. i'm very happy that everything is working that well The first book came out in 2021. That's what you mean by saying last year. Exactly. You collected 21 stories for the first book and now it's 25 stories, right? Correct. Correct. Yes. Most are originally in German. You are an interpreter. Translating into English is your daily business, isn't it? Well, <laughs> no, you cannot say that. <laughs> so, I mean, I was studying languages. That's right. I was studying English, Spanish and French. But that's really a long, long time ago. So I would say, of course, as a German, you always connect to the English language. That's clear. And of course, I made some translations um, over the years. But... I wasn't translating all the time. In fact, I'm also a physical therapist and photographer. So I was doing a lot of things during my lifetime and so far. <laughs> and so it's not daily business. No, I had sometimes, especially two years ago, my focus was completely on Spanish. And sometimes I thought, well, 
I almost feel that my Spanish might be a little bit better than my English, but that was of course not correct. I mean, um, I just needed to have some more practice. I needed to have a different focus and all the Zoom calls, all the video calls with Mary Jane, you know, were a great help because we're talking English several times a week and, you know, that helps me, of course. And um, translating the text was one thing, but reviewing the text by Mary Jane was a completely different thing and an enormous help. So that you now mentioned Mary Jane brings me to the next question. You got support. Mary Jane came on the plan for proofreading and editing your translation. So welcome Mary Jane to our talk. <laughs> Today you are not at home, right? Where are you at the moment? Correct. I, at the moment I'm in St. Louis, Missouri at a reunion of my husband's military reunion. Yeah, yeah. So this is marvelous that we're all connecting from all these different places. But this actually works out well because I have some time to myself uh, to devote to this. That's great. Thank you for that. Mary Jane, what's your background and how did you get involved in the project? I became involved through a mutual contact of Miriam's and I who put us together. My background includes some writing and editing, mainly in medical professional journals. I worked on a professional journal for the American Veterinary Medical Association. So I have been working with words for many years, doing various types of editing, majored in English in university. So this was just a dream come true for me, working with words and dogs all at the same time. It couldn't be any better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What do you think is their interest in the US for such a book? How do you think the book will be received? I think it will be enthusiastically, to use Miriam's word, embraced in the US, <laughs> especially among the sighthound community. People here with sighthounds and particularly greyhounds will all be interested in it. A few of my friends and contacts who have heard about it so far are very eager to read it. I think as the book itself becomes read and more people become aware of Galgos, the interest will generate even further. But initially, I think it will be great enthusiasm in the sighthound community. So I don't know much about the U.S. sighthound community. Can you tell me, is there a big sighthound community? There is. About 30 years ago, people in this country became aware of the plight of the retired racing greyhounds, our sighthounds, mm -hmm. in this country. Up until that time, greyhounds were considered tools for racing and not considered pets either similar to the way Galgos are being regarded right now. And that began to change about 30 years ago, and greyhound adoptions started to occur. And as that occurred and more and more people adopted and spread the word about these dogs, they became very popular, and greyhound adoption groups sprang up all over the country. They were active. They were active socially as well holding reunions and various gatherings, and it was a wonderful situation. 
Now Greyhound racing in North America is pretty much outlawed in most of the states, and particularly in most recently in Florida, which was one of the biggest states for this activity. So the industry is dying out, and there aren't as many greyhounds around, but there are a lot of sighthound lovers as a result of their greyhound adoptions. I'm wondering, where did it come from, the greyhound races in the U.S.? Did you think it is some kind of import from the U.K. or Ireland? Well, greyhounds, they say, were brought over here on Christopher Columbus's second voyage. I'm not sure about that, but that's what I've always heard. Greyhound racing as a sport and entertainment started around the 1820s in this country. I don't know the exact origin of that. I would guess that it might have some British roots, but I'm not sure. Mm. But that's when it first became popular as an activity. And later on, it became a big business as well, as money became involved and betting and that sort of thing. It took off even more. Yeah, okay, it's some kind of development. But if you say by Christopher Columbus, the first sighthounds were brought, I think that must be Gargos, or isn't it? Well, that's an interesting question, Christoph. Uh, yes, I never gave that too much thought, but yes. I imagine they would have been Galgos. Yeah. We should make some research on that. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Okay, so we have, we have the first question that leads us to another topic. Great. Miriam. Mary Jane lives in Chicago. There's a time difference of seven hours. I guess you had to meet often and discuss the texts. How did you manage that by mm -hmm. difference of seven hours? That was not that much of a difficulty, I think, only in the very beginning, because we had to find out what the exact time difference is, because we were not really sure about that. And we were just struggling with six or seven or eight hours, but we fixed it then and found out that it's really seven hours. And well, we just fixed a new date each time. And I think our usual time is um, mostly 11 a.m. Chicago time and 6 p.m. German time. Mm -hmm. So this is okay for Mary Jane and for me. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, I think we meet at least once a week, sometimes more often. It depends on, you know, where we are in the book and how much text we have to review. And... You know, during the Zoom calls, of course, we are discussing the texts. We are talking about mistakes I've certainly made of corrections, talking about the meaning of special German proverbs, which were tremendously difficult for me <laughs> to be translated. And apart from our contact during the Zoom calls, we had a lot of contact via WhatsApp just to talk about very short questions. If I have some questions before a Zoom call, I can always ask Mary Jane for help or we're just speaking about personal stuff. So that was no problem at all with the seven hours. Okay. Mary Jane, was it the first time you do this type of work under this condition? 
auditions, sitting in front of a computer screen, <laughs> talking to someone sitting in front of a computer screen too, but on the other side of the world. How was it to work with Miriam? It was great fun, Christoph. Uh, <laughs> it's been a learning experience for both of us in many ways, but it works beautifully. Miriam didn't go into detail there, but we do digress occasionally in our meetings and into personal business. We've become good friends yeah. as a result of this and enjoy each other's lives as well. So it's been a very positive and enriching experience. And I look forward to continuing something like yes. this. Me too. I think our contact... Becoming friends, it's just a gift, and I'm very, very grateful for that. Not only, you know, relating to the book, but it's just a really very warm friendship, and I'm looking very, very much forward to each single video call, to each single voice message, and um, this is really a blessing. That's great to hear. For me, it's amazing to hear that by knowing at the moment... There was no meeting in real life between you both. So you're speaking of a deep friendship now. And that's amazing by knowing it's only growing up by seeing each other via Zoom calls. That's great. Yes, I think it was a match from the very first second. I mean, Linda made the contact and we had our first call and looked at each other, smiled. And, you know, there was no ice to be broken. It was <laughs> just warm and good and, yes, got better each day. So it, it's really a blessing. And Mary Jane is such a fantastic woman. And I'm very thankful for that friendship. It helps that we all have such a shared passion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That just immediately connected all of us. Yes. As Miriam said before, and from a previous talk to Miriam, I know it was difficult to adequately translate German proverbs into English ones, because you cannot translate it word by word, of course. But you have to find English proverbs that mean the same thing. So, Mary Jane, how did you agree on the meaning? <laughs> well, some of it was just, you know, trying to make an educated guess as to what the German idiom might be or whatever. Sometimes I could figure it out. Other times I really did have to double check with Miriam that we didn't say something totally nonsensical <laughs> in our translation. So it was a little bit of both. And sometimes Miriam frequently would actually explain to me what the German idiom was meant. And you're correct, there was no English equivalent. So we would search for something that would adequately describe that. And we usually were able to come up with something. Yes. Okay, that's very interesting. Did you find some cultural differences so that you cannot translate a German idiom into an English or American one because there is no matching thing in the U.S. culture. Did you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think we did discover that once or twice, didn't we, Miriam? Mm -hmm. The other thing is there are certain words, too, 
that perhaps we had to change a little bit. Oh, I see what you mean. Yes. Miriam, are you thinking of the word I'm thinking of by any chance yes. that we had to eliminate? Yes, <laughs> starting with B. <laughs> yes, yes, okay. In the lexicon of writing about dogs, there's a very universally accepted term for female dogs. And in dog circles, it means exactly what it describes. But in this country, it also has other connotations. And this word came up continually in our manuscripts because people were writing accurately about their dogs. And we had to early on change that word, which was no problem. But that was just an interesting difference between the languages, the cultures, you know, that a term in Germany or actually in the dog world means a female dog but in this country can also mean a very unpleasant female person. So uh, we had to change that word quite a few times. That's interesting, an interesting fact, because, you know, I'm not understanding Spanish. So I use the translation that gives me Instagram or Facebook, the automatic translation. And the word for galga, a female Galgo is translated into <laughs> You got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's almost funny moments, but I think to anybody who isn't in the dog world, it's a little bit of, huh? Yes. <laughs> We're talking about some connotations now with mm -hmm. the B word <laughs> but you know we had one text and if she's listening to this podcast in English now she will forgive me <laughs> she's a great person she's a great animal welfare advocate so I like her very much and uh, she comes from Austria and she has a special way of a very nice one a very good one a very funny way of writing her texts because she's just writing her texts the same way as she's talking. And this makes it so interesting to read her stories. And she's using a lot of proverbs. She's using a lot of idioms that are also sometimes a little strange for me as a German. And sometimes I had to ask her for the meaning of a German word because I don't know it because it comes from Austria. Mm -hmm. And You know, there are some proverbs. If I would translate it word by word, it would be something like, who is not on the tree at three o'clock loses. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And of course, Mary Jane didn't have the slightest idea of what I meant. And of course, it was clear that this cannot be the translation. It cannot be the yeah. exact translation. And I did some research, but Of course, I didn't find an adequate translation. It was not possible. I was doing such a lot of research, I didn't find it. And so we are meeting in the Zoom call and I'm, I'm trying to explain these things to Mary Jane. And this is only one small example <laughs> of the proverbs. It's not only from the Austrian text, but you know, people come from the Eastern part of Germany and There are also some dialects I don't know because I don't come from East Germany and I have to ask. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if it was Sandra or if it was Marina. I sometimes really had to write a WhatsApp and ask the ladies, please, could you explain the German word to me? Because I, I don't know it. But then 
you know, some days or some hours later, I had to translate it into English without yeah. knowing the German meaning of the word. And this was sometimes a little hard, but it was also very funny. Yeah, there were funny moments, I guess. Definitely. <laughs> to give you an idea what is written in the book, we have some text samples in the podcast. The first one is from Tina Solera, Galgos del Sol. When I discovered Spain's shameful secret. Before my family and I moved from Great Britain to Spain, I had never heard of the Galgo Español. I had no idea that this noble breed would take over my life and that soon I wouldn't be able to imagine my world without them. When we came to Spain, I saw these amazing-looking dogs everywhere, rummaging through bins for food, looking thin, worn out and beaten down. Even after living in Spain for a few months, I couldn't understand what was going on. Why was no one helping these dogs? It was as if they were invisible to everyone except me. I wasn't accustomed to dogs roaming on the streets, so it took me a while to process what I was seeing. But every day it bothered me terribly. Even if this was the normal way that dogs were treated here in Spain, abandoned and ignored, it didn't feel right to me at all. I'm not talking about just one or two dogs on the streets. I'm talking about what seemed to be a never-ending stream of these dogs coming out of all corners. It wasn't just the galgos which were barely surviving that pulled at my heart, though. It was all the dogs that lay dead on roadsides. No one seemed to care. Not even enough to remove their poor broken bodies. They just remained there, right where they died, until they became only skeletons. It was as if they had never existed at all. Didn't anyone care? I didn't know many people since I had just moved to Spain, so it felt to me like no one saw the starving dogs and their broken bodies. Of course some people did, I just hadn't met those people yet. I knew I couldn't stay in Spain if I was not going to do something. So I started to make friends with the dogs and to learn about them. The hardest part was getting close to them. Stray galgos rarely trust people, so I couldn't just walk up and catch them. When I did rescue one, I felt on top of the world. Miriam, when we talked first, you were just before the finish line for editing the German book. Mm -hmm. Next on the plan was not only to translate the book into English, but translating the new and the first book. It is a lot of work. How do you divide up your work on a project like this? <laughs> It's such an incredible amount of work, honestly, said that on some days I just didn't know how to manage everything, mm -hmm. honestly said. Because in the very beginning, I had thought that I, I have more time. It was clear that I wanted to finish the German book this year mm -hmm. in, let's say, October or November. Then the English book, so the second Sighthound book, should be translated into English. Mm -hmm. And the second English book will be published next year. That was clear. Mm -hmm. 
But then my husband and I, we decided to move to sell our house here in northern Germany and we will move abroad. So, you know, this we are looking very much forward to it. But of course, it was a lot of stress on top. Because when I'm in the middle of moving abroad, I cannot translate a book, I cannot publish a book, I have to do it in advance. I have to do it before our move. Mm -hmm. And this was the reason that I said, okay, I will have to do everything more or less at the same time. So let's say you get the first German text, then my schedule was, okay, at first I'm going to read the German text you know, just for info, just to see what the person has written. Afterwards, I'm going to review it for the first time. After having done this, I was immediately starting to translate the text into English and afterwards send it to Mary Jane. I was just trying to do it step by step and not waiting until the very last moment until I have all the text, but working each text at a time. But nevertheless, it was clear that I can manage such a kind of big project. And it is a very, very big project this year, much bigger than last year. It was clear that I would have to cancel everything else. And when I say everything, I mean everything. So during the last month, so since February, I have been canceling all my other projects. I didn't accept one single photo shooting or building of a website or something else. I just said, okay, I'm taking care of my pets. I'm taking care of my husband, mm -hmm. the house, the garden and the book project. And that's it. And nothing else. So let me jump in here. So you have to earn money. How can you say, okay, only the book now is on the table and the moving <laughs> to abroad? <laughs> So how can you manage this? You have to know why I was writing these books together with my co-authors. And I think this is the most important thing because um, I'm a very emotional person and I'm no logical person at all. I'm just emotional from top to toe. And um, the reason I was writing the books was a very sad one in the beginning. It was um, that my soul dog, Layla died one and a half years ago and she kind of gave me the impulse to realize my heart project of writing a sighthound book. And you have to know that these books are, maybe it sounds a little, I don't know how it sounds, but it's the way I feel. It's my gift for her and it's my way of honoring this beautiful dog. And that's why I say everything else doesn't matter anymore. I'm working each day of the week, also on the weekends. I don't forget my life because I have my pets here, you know, and they are the most important thing in the world to me. So um, that's the most important thing. And my husband, of course, but second is my gift for Layla and I'm doing everything to make her proud. Yeah, that's great. Mary Jane, how are you active in animal welfare and how much and what kind of sighthounds are living with you? <laughs> well, animal welfare, of course, is very close to my heart. And that was one of the things that 
has made this such a wonderful project to be involved in. I'll give you the pet population quickly. So <laughs> currently we have a retired racing greyhound that's also a certified therapy dog. And we have two rescued galgos, one of whom is also a certified therapy dog and a cat and a few fish in a pond. I have been involved with animals all my life, one way or another. Currently, I do a lot of animal-assisted activities, which is also referred to as pet therapy. And I also teach at Brookfield Zoo, which is close to where we live here in the Chicago area. And we also have a very fine wildlife rehabilitation center, which happens to be in our town. And so I also volunteer there and a few other things like that, mostly connected with animals or sometimes in a medical setting and the best of both worlds when we can bring therapy dogs to uh, medical settings. So animals have just been a continuing theme throughout my whole life. And this is a dream come true. I am retired at this point. So I have the luxury of being able to spend more time doing things that I love. You are now able to spend more time for the animals. Yes, yes. yes. But you know, the animals are also a bridge to people as well. And so, mm -hmm. you know, in doing my uh, pet therapy work with the dogs, mm -hmm. it's all about helping people through the dogs. It's just wonderful to be able, you know, to share your love of animals in a way that you feel is also helping humans. And I'm just very lucky, very blessed. A question that now comes into my mind is, you know about the actual situation in Spain when it comes to the new Animal Welfare Act. How is it received in the US? Did you get any news from Spain? Is the Town community following the news? What's going on with the new Animal Welfare Act? Sadly, here in the US, it's hardly known. People mm. are unaware because people are not that aware yet of Galgos. You know, the most frequent thing you will hear if someone stops you on the street and asks you what kind of a dog and you tell them what you have is, you know, well, what's a galgo? Mm. Or we thought it was a greyhound. And this is something that I hope our book will help to improve greatly, is the awareness of this dog. Mm. People here who are involved in galgo rescue, and there are a few organizations scattered across the states are the people who are following this. But I would venture to say that right at the moment, they are probably the only people that are following it. Yeah. I think it was last year that I was visiting a girlfriend of mine. She lives around 20 minutes from here. She's Spanish. And she was visited by her family from Barcelona. So it was her mother, her sister, and her brother. And some days ago, I received an email from Spain because I was asking the organization Galgos del Sur, where our Galgo Tayo comes from, I was asking them uh, some things about, you know, some kind of background information. And I asked my friend to read the email out loud. I could have done it too, because I'm speaking Spanish, but of course she's much faster as I am. And so she did it. And 
that gave me the possibility to look at her family and to observe them a little, to watch them. And, you know, they were just shaking their heads. The sister had tears in her eyes and they didn't know half of it, at least, at least. So I think it's not only necessary to ask what the people in the States know from Spain, It's interesting to get to know what even some Spaniards don't yeah. know what's happening in their own country, Absolutely. because it's obviously a big difference if you live in Andalusia or if you live near Madrid or if you live in, let's say, the region between Barcelona and Valencia, because the situation is not that bad as it's in southern Spain. And I really hope that I'm going to find a solution because I would like to translate the books into Spanish too. I can do it, of course, but I definitely need someone helping me with the reviews for the Spanish books. Otherwise, I wouldn't have any possibility to publish the books in Spanish. But I think that would be so fantastic to have these books translated into Spanish. Because I got to know some people from Spain now who speak, unfortunately, only Spanish and they would like to read the books. And I said, well, I'm sorry, until now I haven't found a solution so far. You can only read it in German or in English, but I'm going to work on it because it's especially important in Spain to spread sighthound awareness. Mm -hmm. It's the most important in Spain, I think. Yeah. Because that was a thing I heard about in the beginning when I get interested in what is going on with the Galgos in Spain. So I couldn't believe that most of the Spanish population did not know about the plight of the Galgos. That mm -hmm. was a thing I couldn't imagine. But it is a fact. It's getting better. And now we see much more adoptions in Spain than 10 years before, I think. But today it's... it's um, There are so many people who still don't know what's yes. going on. Thank you, Miriam, for helping out. <laughs> You're welcome. We have a, a Galgo rescue group called Love, Hope, Believe Galgo Adoption here in the States. And we primarily go to FBM, Fundacion Benjamin Maynard, and work with the dogs there. And we volunteer there for anywhere from usually one to three weeks or so, and then escort as many dogs back as we are allowed to on the airlines and put them up for adoption here in the United States. So that's one of the things. I mean, this is just something I do all the time, so I don't even think of it as additional animal welfare work. And also with my husband, Bud, we run a website called FBM America, which is to raise awareness primarily of the work of the Fundacion and show what's happening over there at the same time as the dogs that we are preparing to come here are being selected. So it's kind of two sides of what's going on at the Fundacion and how we are trying to place as many of these dogs in their forever homes as we possibly can. So I just forgot to mention that because it's just a part of me. Yeah. 
Can you tell us a little bit about the adoption process in the US? Because we know how the adoption process is in Germany, for instance, or in, mm -hmm. in Austria or Swiss. But how mm -hmm. does it go in the US? Well, basically, we accept applications which usually come online. And as I think I mentioned before, there's a small number of Galgo adoption organizations here in the U.S. Our particular group is centered around the Midwest area and the suburban Chicago area. We adopt dogs within a six-hour radius of our residences. Mm -hmm. And then there are some other adoptions. But we accept the applications usually online. They always have to be filled out. We check out all the references, the veterinarian reference, things like that. We do a home study to check mainly for safety features, but also to get an idea of how the other pets that may be in the household are treated, how they're interacting with their owners, and things like that. At the same time, we are working with our connections at FBM and giving them information about the kind of dogs that our applicants would probably be best suited. We, we don't try to match the dog to the person. It's more matching the person to the dog actually <laughs> sometimes. But if somebody has a need for say a small size Galgo because of their living arrangements, something like that, or someone who might consider adopting an older Galgo, whatever, our staff at FBM will be on the lookout for those dogs. Catalina is over there right now. Bud and I will be going over in a few more weeks. And we will also be documenting the dogs that are coming up to be available for adoption and trying to select dogs that sound like they will be the best matches for them and for our applicants. Then we work with the staff at FBM for their veterinary workup, make sure that they are vaccinated and have all their tests, have their treatments up to date if they needed anything, if they have wounds or recovering from fractures, something like that, that they will be robust enough to make the flight and then do the paperwork involved with that, including a passport for each dog. Then we will escort the dogs back to the States when we're finished volunteering. In our program, Love, Hope, Believe, we generally put the dogs in foster homes when they first arrive. Even if we have a home in place in mind for that particular dog, we like to give them some time to decompress. They've been through an awful lot. And even the flight, you know, is, is another stress for them. So we give them some time to decompress. And then sometimes our foster people are also fostering with intent to adopt. And sometimes they're just doing us the huge favor of fostering these dogs before we place them in their new homes here. So in a nutshell, that's how it works. Yeah. Talking about security, what are your security standards for the dogs by giving them in their forever homes? Probably the main security is the outside security, the fencing, because we do require that our adopters either have a six foot or higher fence or a commitment to leash walk the dogs because as sighthounds they cannot run freely especially in this country 
safely. So we check every property for that. And oftentimes, modifications can be made to an existing fence. The other thing we're looking for is things like stairs, because our dogs are not used to steps. And some of our homes, a home we studied recently has 40 steps to get from the entrance to the person's actual home. So we have to check and see, is this a safe, navigable situation? for the dog and its owner. And then we look for just the general things too. If there are chemicals lying around that would be dangerous for the dog, things like that. We're also looking at how the other pets are taken care of as well. But those are probably the main features. Our dogs are also not necessarily used to windows because they've not had the luxury of living in homes with windows before. So. We look for that too, and sometimes I uh, have to warn somebody or suggest some modifications until the dog gets used to what a window represents. Yeah. Talking about the needs of the dogs, they need to have the opportunity to run free, to sprint and something. Are there fenced areas or uh, so-called playgrounds for the dogs in mm -hmm. your neighborhood? Yes. Yes, there there are dog parks all over. They call them dog parks. Mm -hmm. They're kind of a mixed blessing. Sometimes it's a good idea. Many times it's not, especially mm -hmm. with sighthounds. You know, with sighthounds, if they're running freely in a group, sometimes that can trigger a little bit of a pack mentality mm -hmm. and they can get a little snappish. So we recommend if owners wish to take their sighthounds to a dog park, They make sure that they put a basket muzzle on. Are you familiar with the yes. basket muzzle, yes. Krista? Yes, absolutely. You know, it depends on how the individual dog part is operated, whether it's a good idea for the dog or not. Sometimes there are other places you can take dogs in this country, such as in our neighborhood when nobody's playing on the tennis courts at our park yeah. nearby. We can lock the gates, and those are nice high fences, and let the dogs have a good romp. So you have to be, you know, a little bit selective. They love to go for walks, too, you know. Mm. So just taking them for walks with you is good exercise for them, and often more than sufficient, depending on the dog. The texts in this book come from four different continents. And it's very interesting to hear about animal welfare activities in the different countries all over the world, especially with the focus on sighthounds. Next sample we hear is from Travis Pettenort. Lena, our inspiration to save many more galgos. When I was growing up, A neighbor down the street had a black and white greyhound named Daisy. We would see her every day walking Daisy past our house. Daisy would be holding the leash in her mouth, prancing to her house. At the time, my family had a beagle named Misty. One day, we had her outside playing in the field behind our house. And out of nowhere, Daisy ran up and attacked Misty, who was okay, just shaken. From that experience, I thought that greyhounds were mean and would attack other dogs. It was not until I was in my 20s that I met other greyhounds and learned about how they really were, 
affectionate, couch potatoes, and very gentle. When my wife Amanda and I got married, we decided to get a dog. When we asked each other what type of dog we should get, we both said Greyhound. We actually agreed on something. We adopted our first Greyhound named Sierra in 2001. After six months of trying to manage Sierra's separation anxiety and no improvement, we adopted a second Greyhound named Savannah. The two Greyhounds were inseparable and Sierra's separation anxiety disappeared. We then began to volunteer with the Greyhound group at the kennel, then began fostering and becoming adoption representatives. Amanda handled all of the dog's paperwork and adoption packets. We had been volunteering for about 12 years when we read an article about the Galgos in a Sighthound magazine. After reading the article, Amanda and I decided to adopt a Galgo once we had space in our house. We had five greyhounds at that time. In October 2012, space was available and we submitted an application to a Galgo group here in the United States. We were told that there would be a year wait and that they would select the dog for us. We decided to go ahead and wait the year for our first Galgo. So, Miriam, the day we are talking, your husband stays in Spain and is doing drone flights to produce some footage of three shelters. Yes. They can use the material for promotion, for websites, and so on. It's your thank you for the Spanish authors associated with these shelters. Do you want to tell me a little bit about this journey? <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> It started very exciting because um, my husband was robbed directly after he was passing the Spanish border. <laughs> oh, no directly on the highway so it was not that much of a good start let's say yeah. but we managed everything and he's relaxed again <laughs> so and now so so uh, sorry for interrupting you but yes. did he get robbed of his equipment no 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 no, no, no. okay but cash you know a lot of cash has gone unfortunately yeah. yes but anyhow so he first visited fbm so Fundación Benjamin Menat near Sevilla. And he was there for almost five days, also getting to know Marina, for example, and Katja mm -hmm. and Catalina. Catalina is a friend of Mary Jane, um, who is also visiting FBM right now. And of course, it was the first time for my husband being in a Spanish shelter. And he was really overwhelmed because, you know, He didn't know the situation at all. He didn't know the shelter. He didn't know the people. He didn't know the dogs. He didn't have any idea of what might be going on there. Mm -hmm. He met Gisela Maynard, talked to her, and he was deeply impressed by her. Yeah. And he had a lot of flights there, so he took some pics with the drone of the complete shelter. I mean, it's a very, very huge property. And he was also making films, videos. And then he went to Galgos del Sur. And it's a completely different situation for him because the shelter is much smaller. But on the other hand, it was a good opportunity for him to be much more involved in everything. 
because the organization of FBM is completely must be completely different, of course, from um, the organization of a shelter such as Galgos del Sur. Mm -hmm. But he was, um, you know, the same way, deeply, deeply, deeply touched. I had him on the phone very often and I heard from his voice that sometimes he could barely speak and Mm. he was very, very touched and he still is. He drove to the shelter sometimes twice or three times a day to make new drone flights, new pics, new videos, because people saw the first results on his MacBook and said, well, that's really astonishing. That's overwhelming. Please, could you come again to make a new video or new pics of that situation? And of course he did. And he will stay near Cordoba until tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So he has met our beautiful and wonderful Gugu Zauter. And of course we have a very good relationship to her. She's an amazing woman. And tomorrow he will go to Murcia to go to Galgos del Sol and meet Tina Solera. And you're right, it's our gift for the three ladies, our thank you, because I know that um, especially these three ladies Gisela Menat, Gugu Sauter, and Tina Solera are, of course, so busy with, you know, rescuing animals' lives and taking care of everything that it's almost a wonder that they said yes and that they said, okay, we would like to participate and we would like to contribute a text to your book. And so we had the idea of offering them that my husband Kai goes to Spain to help the shelters with their marketing work with their website with their social media work it's an honor for us to be invited by them yeah and that's a great opportunity to give that this way back yeah Mm -hmm. unfortunately we miss kai because my wife and i and some friends of us will travel to spain in one week oh what so we traveled to fbm Mm. And in the middle of the week, I think we will visit Galgos del Sur in Cordoba to meet oh. Gugu Sauter once again. We oh, met that. her this summer at Gugu's home. And 2021, in October, I visited Fundación Benjamin Menard for the first time. And we had the luck that Galgos del Sur opened up his new shelter in the week we were at FBM. So we visited Galgos del Sur at the opening. That was a great opportunity to see that. Mm-hmm. And Fantastic. it was really mm-hmm. great to see Gugu in this situation. Very mm-hmm. happy and yeah. I believe you. So that's great that we have this year the opportunity to meet again at Galgos del Sur. But sadly, we miss Kai. <laughs> Well, that's a pity, but maybe we can see each other, you know, during the next year, because, yeah. um, I mean, we will be in Spain next year and yeah. maybe we will have the possibility to meet then. Yeah, that would be great. Mary Jane, I have a last question. How is the interest in worldwide animal welfare and personal experience reports in the US? Well, I think during COVID, it was somewhat compromised by all of the concerns about the pandemic. 
I sense that it's now recovering. And especially, too, we have had several in this country weather-related crises lately. And those also affect, you know, the wildlife and the domestic pets. People have come forth and are in the process, even this week, as a result of the terrific hurricane Mm -hmm. in Florida. And the animal welfare groups are all marshalling their forces out there to help. There have also been some major closures earlier this fall. Something like 4,000 beagle dogs were released from a situation where they were being badly treated and abused and neglected. So these large-scale crises that have come up have focused a lot of attention, and I think Americans are becoming more and more compassionate once again, and I hope that that will continue to improve. Thank you. That was my last question on the plan. So if you both don't want to add something... There's a question mark. <laughs> Do you want to add something? <laughs> Maybe just one more sentence. I would like to emphasize the fact that all people who contributed their text to the book, their beautiful illustrations to the book, their reviewing to the book. Thanks, Mary Jane, again. We're just such a great network. We are such a great and strong community. And what unites us all is one common goal to really spread and raise sighthound awareness and cry it out into the world what's going on and we try to to help these amazing shelters the amazing people doing that hard that terrible work you know it's a terrible work but it's also a great work working with these beautiful animals and we just want to give the sighthounds our voice and we try to help the shelters and the people working there with our book project just by you know crying it out as loud as we can what's going on that's a good word to end this podcast not to end the story (laughs) so (laughs) thank you both for your time and i wish you well for the last few proofreading sessions (laughs) Thank you very much, Christoph. Thank you, Christoph. And thank you, Christoph, for all of your work in promoting the cause of the Galgos as well. It's most appreciated and most important. You're welcome. Thank you. Definitely. Thank you very much, Christoph, for everything. The last sample is from Miriam herself. Tayo, born to be happy. Yandel. In Eithwicha, the city of colorful towers, once lived a beautiful black galgo. On Tuesday, July 28, 2015, temperatures climbed to over 40 degrees Celsius from the midday hours in the small Andalusian town near Córdoba. For good reason, the city in the very east of the province of Seville also bears the name La Sartén de Andalucía, the Andalusian frying pan. Numerous imposing sites, churches, monasteries and palaces adorn the Baroque city, which is under historical monument protection. Today, the city has about 40,000 inhabitants and attracts numerous tourists in the midst of gentle hills. The Rio Genil, 
the second longest river in Andalusia, with a length of 358 kilometers, provides entertainment with rafting, canyoning and other water activities. There, our beautiful black galgo first saw the light of day on this particular Tuesday. In a time when magic wishes came true, he could have had a happy life there, with a loving family in a place that has so much beauty to offer. A galguero named the galgo puppy Yandel. There are many living there in Ethicha, galgos and galgueros. Proud, noble, graceful. That's how Yandel was born. He would have liked to conquer his little world, to play and romp wholeheartedly, to run, just like that, for the fun of it. It would have been easy for the sweet little one to wrap his loved ones around his paw. Maybe he would have gone on excursions and vacations with his family, would have explored everything in a typical Galgo-like, curious way. Yandel would have grown from a playful and slightly crazy Galgo puppy to a balanced, confident young dog, and then to a brave adult Galgo. Wrong breed, wrong place, wrong circumstances, wrong traditions. Especially in central and southern Spain, hunting with Galgos is mostly a male pastime. Hare hunting is allowed on more than 80% of the national territory. Many unpopulated areas are used, fields, olive groves and private land. A sighthound in the hands of hunters still has no protective rights in 2022. It is completely at their mercy. It is, how could it be different, on the one hand about money, there is a large, powerful lobby. But it's also about totally antiquated views, which entail lack of empathy, ruthlessness, cruelty and unforgiving violence. There are networks. It's about power. And it is, above all, about victims. That was my talk to Miriam Veldebening and Mary Jane O'Connor about the book Sighthound Stories, Our Journey Through Four Continents. Here are some facts about the book. The English version is published in November 2022. It's available, for example, on Amazon as hardcover, paperback and Kindle ebook. The book holds over 400 pages with 25 stories from 24 co-writers and one text and one poem from Miriam herself. 27 Sighthound illustrations by Irenka Schendera and a cover illustration by Susanne Stolle. The co-writers are from the US. Linda Baumeister, Mary Jane O'Connor, Amanda and Travis Pettenot from Love, Hope, Belief, Galgo Adoption Inc. and Michelle Sanchez from Sage, Save a Galgo Español. From Spain, Gisela Menard, founder of Fundación Benjamin Menard or Foundation Benjamin Menard. Tina Solera, founder of Galgos del Sol. From Germany, Gugu Sauter, co-founder of Galgos del Sur. Tina Baumgärtner, Katja Bieber. Tanja Bräuning, Liliana Flormann, Jana Huth, Rolf Kazorowski, Nicole Köster, Sandra Lenski, Adriana Bricken, Gerlind Rose, who lived in Katar for some time, Sandra Sachse, Manuela Schneider and Susanne Stolle. From Austria, Marina Scheinhardt. From Sweden, Eva Quirbach. From Australia, Madeleine Burton, Alice McGuinness and Steph Tapley. 
all three from the Coalition for the Protection of Greyhounds and from Dubai, Yvette Matsiolek, founder of the Woof House Dubai. That's it. Feel free to leave a comment at the episode's post on Instagram. Search for galgo.fm. On Instagram you will also find Jaspers Abenteuer. That's the spot where my wife Anja shows the steering life of our Galgo Jasper. And you can send me an email if you have any questions about the podcast, Galgos or my interview partners. The address is podcast at creton.de. You'll find it in the show notes too. The text samples were read by Hilary Merkel. Thanks for listening and hear you next time. Okay.